Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Happy Monday, Fireflies. Today, we are going to talk about two very common mental illnesses, and that is major depressive and generalized anxiety disorders. As many of you know, I battle with both, but to help me, I'm speaking with an incredible woman who is dedicated to ending the stigma by sharing the stories of millennials of color who battle with depression and anxiety. I live for founder Nikki Weber Allen, unfortunately lost her nephew, Paul R. Weber V, to suicide, yet found her strength by starting the organization I live for. And his mission is to end the stigma surrounding mental health. Through her short film, live events, and social media, and amazing digital community, I live for informs, inspires, and connects by creating a safe place for honest, unapologetic conversations about mental health. Recently, Nikki participated in a must-see TED Talk entitled Don't Suffer from Your Depression in Silence, which is available on TED's website and has over a million views. So let's jump into this. What are major depressive and generalized anxiety disorder? Well, major depressive disorder is characterized by a persistent feeling of sadness or a lack of interest in outside stimuli. So there can be a number of things contributing to the cause of depression. It could be situational, it can be environmental, um, and it can also be genetic. So some of those symptoms can be negative thinking, with the inability to see any positive solutions, agitation, restlessness, uh, inability to focus, withdrawing from loved ones and regular activities, increased sleeping or not sleeping at all, weight loss or weight gain, suicidal thoughts, and exhaustion and being lethargic. And for generalized anxiety disorder, it's characterized by a persistent and excessive worry about a number of things. So people with generalized anxiety disorders may be overly concerned about money, health, family, work, and other issues, and also find it difficult to control their worry. They may worry more than the situation seems to warrant about actual events and may expect the worst even when there's no apparent reason for the concern. So generalized anxiety is diagnosed when a person finds it hard to control their worry on more days or at least six months and has three or more of the following symptoms. So that can be easily being fatigued, muscle tension, sleep disturbance, as well as uh, difficulty concentrating and having their mind go blank. And so I want to thank Nikki for joining me. Can you tell us a little bit about your nephew and did you recognize the signs of mental illness and and how did the birth of I Live For come uh, come from the pain of losing your nephew? Well, Takiya, first I want to say um, thank you so much for having me on this podcast, and thank you for creating this amazing organization, um, Fireflies Unite. You're doing such important work, um, and I really want to commend you on it. Um, but in terms of my own personal story, I actually struggle with depression and anxiety disorder myself. Um, And it's something that 
um, I've been struggling with for, it's hard to, to say exactly when it started, um, but I was diagnosed maybe about seven years ago or so. Um, and it was something that I was really ashamed about when I was first diagnosed. And I thought, you know, I'm African-American and as an African-American woman, you know, which is kind of typical within the black community, I mistook depression for a sign of weakness. I really didn't understand at that time that it was an actual medical condition and that it had nothing to do with my character or my level of strength or my fortitude or anything like that, um, that it could be genetic with me. It, you know, I'm certain there were environmental um, aspects in my life that contributed um, to my uh, depression. So, but long story short, it, it's a medical condition that I had to learn to manage but at the time when I was diagnosed, again, I was really ashamed, so I didn't talk to anybody about it. So it wasn't until um, my nephew, Paul, who I was actually quite close with and just absolutely adored, when he died is when I found out that he had been struggling with depression and anxiety disorder as well. And it was something that his parents actually were aware of, and they had he had gone to, to get treatment, but the, he was having a really hard time and was still struggling with it. And it was something that we didn't share with each other. He was ashamed about it and had asked his parents not to tell, you know, the rest of the family what was going on with him. And because of my shame, I didn't tell, talk to him or anybody else in the family about it. And that's something that you know, I, I regret so much that I wasn't open and honest with my nephew about it because you know, I really feel like perhaps if he had known that he wasn't alone in this experience and if this was something that we could have, this experience is something that we could have shared and talked about openly and could have leaned on each other, you know, I, I wonder if the outcome would have been different. So that is why I, I started the organization I Live For Foundation, um, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, and our goal is to end mental health stigma in millennials of color, because the um, stigma is so incredibly steep within communities of color. And, and, you know, let's face it, the stigma is steep, period, you know, with everyone. But studies have shown that, or research has shown, that communities of color that has an even greater stigma. And within communities of color, we have, we're at a higher risk of developing a mental disorder because of factors like, you know, systematic racism and um, socioeconomic disparities that exist in this country put, put us in a position where we're more vulnerable as people of color to develop a mental disorder. So I just felt as though the combination of, you know, being at a greater risk of developing a mental disorder and having greater stigma, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, mm -hmm. So I wanted to do everything in my power. Um, to, you know, do what I could to end the stigma. And my background is in television producing. You know, I've been a TV producer for over 20 years. Um, I'm blessed to have won uh, Emmy Awards for the work that I've done. You know, I've, I'm well-connected within the industry. Um, so I'm a seasoned storyteller. So I felt as though it was my responsibility to use, you know, my talents and my connections to really 
bring light to this conversation and tell stories that will help normalize mental illness uh, within our communities so that hopefully we don't have to lose any more of our precious children like like my nephew Paul. Wow, that is, you just said a lot. And I'm speechless just because I understand the value of the work and it's important for people to know they don't have to suffer in silence because just like you said, you were silent, your nephew was silent and his parents were silent. I was silent. Literally someone sent me a, a Facebook message and they said, how do you have the courage to tell your story? And, I, and my answer was simply, it was killing me not to because mm-hmm. when you don't tell your story, it just eats, when you don't talk about it, it just eats away at you. And it's like slow internal suicide that's happening because you feel like I have nobody I can go to. I'm going to be judged. Again, going back to the character flaw, just like, you know, you have done all these amazing things. You're well accomplished. You're an Emmy Award winner. And in my case, I said, yeah, people were saying like, oh, there's nothing wrong with Kia. She she had these degrees. She's doing this. She's doing that. And I have mm-hmm. to tell people we have to move away from that financial gain, educational success. So you have can have up to a PhD, your connections, all of that stuff does, cannot prevent you from developing a mental illness. You know, if you don't take care of your mental health, then you also put yourself at risk for developing a mental illness. So if you're always stressed, you increase your chances of developing a mental illness. Of course, when we go through traumatic life events, that can certainly uh, trigger us to have a mental illness. And by talking about it, not only are we ending the stigma, but we're encouraging people to go out and get the treatment that they need. You could not pay me enough money to tell people that I was in therapy for a very long time. And I said, you know what? Nope. I got to go to my therapist because I see the value. I see how I've grown so much as a person. And therapy is, again, I will always reiterate, therapy is not only for people who have a mental illness. It is for everyday people who live everyday lives and they have stressors and they need to learn how to maneuver through it and have healthy coping strategies. Because even if people don't have a mental illness, they cope with drugs, they cope with alcohol, they cope with sex. They cope with weed. Yes, all that stuff, just no matter what it is, you know, all that stuff will eventually kill you and it will eat away at you. And so- I'm so glad that, you know, you're doing this work. It's important for people to understand that one in four people in the world and one in five people in America will develop a mental disorder in their lifetime. But again, people from marginalized communities, just like Nikki and I have stated, have a higher risk of developing a mental disorder. I think with African-Americans, the research says that they have a 20% greater risk of developing a mental disorder than white Americans. That's a that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I, I wanted to make one other point too when we're talking about sort of the perceptions within our communities and within communities of color about mental illness. One of the biggest misconceptions within the Black and I know Latino communities as well is that it's a weakness. Mm-hmm. People mistake, you know, having depression or another mental illness. Um, as you're just weak, 
and that we need to be strong in order mm-hmm. to push through it. And that's such a dangerous misconception. With it, in my TED Talk, I, I, there's a quote that I actually got from a friend of mine, um, and I actually credit her in the TED Talk, but she, she, we were talking about this, and she actually said, you know, I thought it was so profound. She said, being strong is killing us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly right. It's that feeling as though we're supposed to be strong and power our way through depression is why people won't get help. And, and you're, it's not something, clinical depression is not something that you can heal on your own. You must have, you know, you must be um, an expert um, who is uh, trained in dealing with, you know, depression and anxiety and, and that sort of thing in order to get the tools you need to be able to, to manage it. And it's not a quick fix and it's not a, a, a one size fits all kind of a, a deal. You, it, it takes a lot of work to, in, uh, to really figure out the best treatment plan for you, but it's doable. And, it, and so I, I always want to make sure people understand there is always, as long as you are breathing, there is always reason for hope. This is something that you can learn to manage, but you do have to put in the work. You do. Absolutely. There was actually a quote that I saw on Twitter, and I have no idea who said this, but the quote was, the wound is probably not your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. And that's a very, very hard pill to swallow because naturally, some of us, we go into the victim mode, you know, so I can sit Mm -hmm. here and say that you know, my father was a contributing factor to my depression because of his absence. I can say I grew up in poverty, so that's a contributing factor. And while all those things are very, very true, and I had to work through that, through those traumas, and watching my mom, you know, be abused, I had to work through all of that. And even though it wasn't my fault, it was my responsibility to say, you know what, I need help. I cannot get through this on my own. And by That's me right. doing that, it ta- it gives puts me in control and gives me my power back opposed to the depression and the anxiety having the power. That's right. And and so, that actually is true strength is is asking for the help that you need. That that in itself is is strength and intelligence, you know, to to ask for the help that you need. Yeah, people, it is there's no shame in asking for help. And I think, you know, of course, the work that we're doing, it's truly going to help future generations because I always say that millennials, we are the the pushing or the, the trailblazing generation that actually we're talking about mental illness a lot more uh, compared to yeah. previous generations. And so I think that because of that, future generations we will eventually see the stigma ending and a decline in suicide because it will be just like talking about uh, your parents want to talk to you about sex and the birds and the bees or talk to you mm-hmm. about budgeting, talk to you about, you know, using protection. It right. would just, it will be so a part of the conversation that it, that people won't feel like it'll be normalized. You know, exactly. People don't feel like they have right. to tense up. And I, there was an article actually that I wrote on um, my blog and it sparked, it came from this idea of, I was, someone was asking how I was doing and I told, and I told them, 
you know, I'm doing so much better. You know, I told them that I was a suicide survivor and I could see them like kind of getting uncomfortable. But I was like, I'm trying to figure out why are they getting uncomfortable when I'm the one that's telling my story. And then I said, you know what? I said, I don't care if talking about mental health or mental illness makes someone else uncomfortable. And the reason why I don't care, because we see what the statistics are showing us ab about all mental right. disorders. Not, of course, not. it's not just limited to depression and anxiety, but it's almost, I would say it's almost an DNA just, you know, from all the things that we've experienced of just simply coming to this country and being completely stripped of our culture and being forced to embrace something that we have no idea about and that trauma and those coping skills being passed down from generation to generation. And so with That's years right. of trauma and suppression, I, I truly believe it is my right and I have the right to not care. Because by talking by not talking about it, it keeps the stigmas alive. It discourages people from seeking treatment. It increases the likelihood of suicide. And that's mm -hmm. exactly why. When the article by it was an article by CNN, and it says that every five days a child under the age of 13 dies by suicide. And the suicide and by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It said that suicides by hanging nearly tripled among black boys. So mm. if we don't talk about it, we're going to continue to see these stories happening. That's right. And I, and, and I will say that there's also uh, um, research has come out, too, that, that has indicated that the suicide rate among black children has doubled in the more than doubled in the past 20 years. This during the same time period, it's the suicide rate has gone down among white children. So, you know, that's something else, you know, what's going on? Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know has to happen is we've got to tackle this stigma within our community for this to, to be rectified or for, for us to move forward as a, as a healthy whole population. Absolutely, the, absolutely. The, the, the trauma that we deal with that, that you talked about is very real. There's that generational trauma that's been passed down since we were brought to this country. But make no mistake, there are real slights and injustices, you know, that we're dealing with today, every mm -hmm. single day, whether absolutely. it's the, you know, the small microaggressions that, that can really have a huge impact on our mental and emotional well-being all the way to the more overt you know racism and discrimination that that again is systematic and institutionalized in this country this is mm -hmm. all very real and it has very real effects on our well-being and it's something you, you were talking earlier about how you therapy is something good not just for people who are experience you know live with a mental mental illness but like you said for for people just dealing with stress in general and i just wanted to to say that i really agree with that and i wanted to kind of offer this because i know you know i i go around and i, I talk to a lot of people about this and i i hear a lot of pushback one is that therapy is very expensive and yes it is and that's you know the cost of therapy that's sort of its own set of issues um but in, but i did want to talk about 
the process of therapy because another issue that a lot of people have is they're afraid of what is therapy like? What is it like to go in there? Then they don't want like a stranger in their business, you know, because they've been taught don't air your dirty laundry, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And I just wanted to let people know therapy is what you make out of it. But what's super important is that you find someone who you can relate to, who you feel would understand your experience. So for me, it was really important that I found um, a black woman who I felt could really understand my experience as a black professional woman in America. And we, it, I had such a great relationship with her um, that it really helped me in my process of sort of unpacking what my triggers were um, or are and, and learning how to manage it. And the way I view a therapist, I, don't, I typically don't even say therapist, they're like a life coach. Um, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people in business will get a business coach. This is the, it's the exact same thing. They just help you figure out the tools that you need to manage whatever problems you may have in your life. And really, that's it. It's not mm-hmm. a scary process at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to make that point because I think a lot of people have this very negative association with the word therapist, but it really can be just your life coach, your personal cheerleader to kind of help you manage whatever issues it is that are bringing stress into your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they are trained professionals to help you navigate through that. And yes, you can talk to your mom, your dad, your friend, your pastor, all those people are great. But Mm -hmm. therapy is a person who's like a neutral, they're a third party. So their perception and their connection will be completely different and they're again, they're also trained uh, medical right. or mental health professionals. And so they just have a different approach and will be able to give you because a lot of times when your friends and family are coming, they're coming from the place of one, their relationship with you. So it, the information right. they give you will also be biased. And then also a lot of times people place their projections on you and they don't even realize it. Right. So in therapy, you don't right. have to deal with someone placing their projections on you because that's because they're trained and they know how not to do that within that setting. Right. And so I'm so right. glad that I'm so glad that you said said that because I'm always encouraging people to go to therapy. The, so, the other piece that I mentioned too is the cost piece, and that that is significant. And I think that is one of the major barriers that keeps um, a lot of people of color out of therapy is the cost. It can be super expensive. A lot of them don't take insurance, but there are there are um, different organizations that offer therapy that you can research online. There are different organizations that um, you can go to and different therapists that you can find who have like a sliding scale where you pay what you can afford to pay. There's others, like if you're in college, you can go to your, you know, the counselors on campus. There are other free services like that. So don't let the money be a barrier because there are services out there that are free or lower cost. There's even, um, you know, a lot of people now are doing the therapy online. There's different Mm -hmm. online services um, where you can like text a therapist and that's like maybe $30 a week, which is significantly less than seeing a therapist. So yeah, I just want to make sure that people know that there are options out there. Um, Just do a little bit of research. And if you're not in a space where, because I know if, if 
you know, when I was in a more depressive state, I wasn't really in a space to do a lot of research to find this. So if you're not in a space where you feel like you can do the research, ask someone, a close person, a close friend or relative that you trust, if they will help you find someone because there is help out there. Yes, thank you, Nikki, for, for saying that and providing those resources because, it, yes, there there's definitely help out there. And there are clinics who have, again, if you make below a certain amount, they have clinics available. Um, and if you need medication to help deal with your mental illness, there's all, there are also clinics for that that you can get a psychiatrist to help you with medication management. So I'm glad that you said that. And can you tell us about a little bit about your documentary and any upcoming projects that I Live For has for this amazing 2018 year? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm super excited about it. So the documentary um, that we've been doing, it's it doesn't have a name yet, so the working title is just the I, I Live For the Documentary. Um, but basically, it is a collection of uh, short stories um, told in the first person um, by young people of color, by young, I mean millennials, millennials of color, who live with um, primarily depression and anxiety. Uh, most of them, many of them have uh, maybe all of them, maybe not, maybe not all of them. Most of them have had uh, suicidal ideation. Many of them have had multiple suicide attempts and they talk about their stories and they talk about, you know, their triggers and when they realized that what they were dealing with was, was an actual mental disorder and how they've learned to manage it. And the, the idea is it really shows um, sort of the depth and breadth of people who live with um, a mental illness. It's not, I think, stereotypically, the media, I think, is at fault a lot for the stereotypical ideas that, that many people have of who, you know, has a, what a person looks like who has a mental illness or how they act. And through my documentary, I hope to, sh to really normalize and humanize people who live with mental disorders and show that it's it's your it's your best friend, it's your next door neighbor, it's your auntie, you know, it's your cousin, uh, it's it's anybody can can live with a mental disorder. Um, and the idea too behind the film is that it's hopeful. These are all people who, as I said, have have really had some dire straits, some very dire situations, and they've come through and learn to manage it and have gotten to the other side of it. Um, and they've all found something in their life that anchors, anchors them, that they're passionate about, that gives their life a sense of purpose. And, and to be honest, that is why um, my organization is called I Live For, because what I've found in talking to so many young people who have gotten to the other side of this, uh, or what I mean by that is, is who have learned to manage their illness and are living a life that they are, um, you know, they're achieving their goals and they've found happiness and joy in their lives. All the people that I've spoken to um, who have gotten to this place, it's because there is something in their life that they found that, that's worth living for. It's, it's something that has given their lives 
purpose. Um, so that, that's really what my organization challenges millennials to think is what is it that you want to live for? What is it? And, and have that at the forefront of your mind. Understand, figure out what is it that's going to give your life purpose. Because um, I don't think people are asking that question enough. I think certainly within American culture, we're told, you know, if you just get a good job and make good money, you'll be happy. And if you, you know, have the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend, you'll be happy. If you can wear those, you know, size four jeans, you'll be happy. Or if you can buy those Christian Louboutin pumps, you'll be happy. And it's like, no, happiness is not in that stuff, in the material stuff. That's where, you know, we get it wrong. True happiness comes from, you know, having a sense of purpose in your life feeling as though you are connected, there's the sense of connection, that you're a part of something that's bigger than you, um, having love in your life, being loved, having something to look forward to in your life. Those are the kinds of things that actually, that's where true joy comes from, not the material stuff. So again, that's why the film really centers on what those things are that these young people live for that has helped them to find value in their lives and continue to work at um, being their best selves through, you know, their various means of treatment. They're, and as I said earlier, it's not one size fits all. When what you discover through the film is that eight young people that I'm profiling and all eight have eight different stories of how, you know, they've managed to find joy in their lives. So it's really about each individual finding ownership in their own story and taking control of their own story and, and finding their own joy through, you know, acknowledging that this illness is a part of their lives and acknowledging and, to, and, and taking action around managing whatever their illness is and ultimately finding more joy and purpose in their lives. Yes, I could not agree more that those things, and even, for instance, if we want to talk about bipolar disorder for a moment, and the reason why I go there is because people who experience bipolar disorder, they experience their manic episodes. And mm -hmm. there are people who say that when they're manic, they'll go on a shopping spree, like they'll start buying all of this stuff, you know? And when we have those things, they may make us feel good for the moment, but eventually it wears right. off, you know, or even if it's not buying material things or you're always constantly finding yourself in a in a relationship and you're leaving this person to go to that person because you're constantly chasing happiness, constantly trying to fill mm -hmm. a void, a void or multiple mm -hmm. void. And you always find yourself empty and broken because we're not dealing with the root. We're not dealing with That's the right. issue or the issues. And once you do that, you start to open up to healing. You start having a different perception of the world. You start realizing the importance of self-care, of boundary setting, because you know that you need to have healthy relationships with your in your life, healthy relationships with yourself. And so I'm so glad that you said that. And I mm -hmm. truly want to just, again, thank you for taking time out of your day to just speak with me and join me 
on the Fireflies Unite podcast. If people want to learn more about I Live For or get involved or donate, how can they find the website? How can they find the social media? How can they connect, get connected to this cause? Yes. Well, thank you for asking. They can find us at www.ilivefor.org. And our social media handle is at ilivefor.org. Thank you so much, Nikki. This was so much fun. So this week's therapist shout out goes to the Relationship Boosters. And I just love that name for some reason. I don't know why, but I do. And they all they are about giving your relationships that extra boost. The services that they provide, first let me tell you, they are based in the DMV area. So for those who are not in the DMV area, that means DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And they offer conflict management, help helps with conflict management, communication skills, parenting, premarital um, counseling, infidelity, and um, recovering from an affair. Um, they also uh, offer couple classes and workshops. Oh, and they're also, they're based in Laurel, Maryland. Wonderful therapists who are doing amazing work are three amazing therapists. It's actually Mrs. Cope Ward. She's a licensed clinical social worker. Also, Dr. Kia James. She's a licensed uh, professional counselor. And then also Ms. Trotman. She's a licensed professional counselor as well. And they're on, they're on Facebook and their engagement is, they have some amazing engagement. And so if there's anyone in the Maryland or D.C. area, Virginia area, looking to find a therapist that supports relationships or marriages, I definitely want to encourage you to check them out. They are the relationship boosters and they are truly doing some amazing work. I will be sure to leave their information um, in the description box for the podcast so you can access them if you're interested in reaching out to the relationship boosters. Okay, for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, we are about to dive into something that, <laughs> I don't know how to, let me just say it. We're about to dive into social media and the impacts that social media has on your mental health. So for a very long time for me, social media was a trigger. I could not get on it anymore because it got to the point where I was in a very depressive episode and my anxiety was through the roof. And since I was in a not, since I was not in a good mental space, I couldn't see anyone's happiness, um, you know, because social media is just showing the highlight reel of everyone's lives. And some people are even putting on a facade just for likes. They're not even genuinely happy. And so I got to a point in my life where I had to basically go on a detox. And I was off of social media for about a year because I, could, I couldn't see people graduating or people getting married or engaged or um, I just couldn't take it because I was in such a dark place in my life that I was starting to compare myself. I felt like since I wasn't doing well, that I was a failure. I felt like since I was trying to come to terms with what it meant to have this diagnosis, 
if that ever meant that I will be able to obtain success again. Because again, while I am very successful, there were also times where I was on social media and people assumed that I was happy, but in, in reality, I was not. I was miserable on the inside. And I had to get to a point where I went away from social media to work on myself. And I'm not just saying this. There's been studies behind it, the negative effects. A number of studies have found an association between the use of social media, depression, anxiety, sleep problems, eating problems, and increased suicide risk. And we hear this all the time. There are children who are dying by suicide. There are uh, people recording their suicide on Facebook Live. And I know that Facebook has worked, they're working on their settings and working on resources for people who may be in a mental health crisis. And I think that was one of the most important things that they could have done because it's so unfortunate to see kids that are so young dying by suicide. Their life has barely even begun. But it's not only for children. There are adults that are also using social media as a way to distract themselves from dealing with their issues. And I think it's important that we be mindful um, that when we're using social media, if we're using it to kill the time, are we are we using it because we're marketing and promoting our business? Are we using it because we want to stay connected to people? But if there are emotions or things that are coming up for you when you're on social media, I want to encourage you to address them. There was a study in 2015 by the University of Missouri, and they found that regularly using Facebook could lead to symptoms of depression if the site triggered feelings of envy in the user. Facebook can be, of course, a fun and a healthy uh, activity if the users take advantage of the site to stay connected with family, high school friends, and share interested in important aspects of their lives. And that's what Professor uh, Duffy said, who co-authored the report. But if it is used to see how well an acquaintance is doing financially or how happy an old friend is in their relationships, uh, things that can really cause envy or um you're in the state of comparing yourself, that can really trigger you to go into a depression. And so I really want to encourage us to be mindful of, again, how we use social media. Facebook director of research, David Ginsburg, uh, wrote the report along with social media psychologists, I'm sorry, along with social psychologists, Mariana Burke, I hope that I'm saying the name right. They both cooperated with psychology and sociology experts and mental health professionals, and the studies were used to support their findings. And so the company cited a study from the University of Michigan. It found that college students ch uh, choosing to only read Facebook for 10 minutes were in a worse mood at the end of the day than those who read and posted a message or communicated with a friend. And I can see how that than someone who would just get on and get off social media. So I'm going to use myself for an example. Now I'm a lot more active on social media because I'm promoting the podcast, because I'm promoting what I'm doing, um, because I'm growing my business. But I use social media very different now. I may scroll through my 
timeline occasionally, but it's uh, very rare. I do make sure that I respond to comments, that I re respond to mentions because I do want to be engaged with the commu my community because I really do care about the topic, about mental health. Obviously, I'm really passionate about it, and I want to make sure that people are mentally healthy, which is the whole purpose of doing the podcast. Um, and so I am very good with responding. And so when I log on to, for instance, just like say Facebook, um, we have our Fireflies Unite Healthy Minds group. And so I'm often in the group and posting information about the podcast or resources or events. Um, and then I'm also in, involved in other groups. I'm in groups for other podcasters because I want to network and connect with other podcasters. I'm in a group for um, black women who are entrepreneurs because, of course, I'm a black woman. I'm also an entrepreneur. And so I find that being in those groups actually helped me more because I'm in, I'm surrounded by like minded people who are doing something that either I am currently doing or I'm um, that I eventually would like to do. And so those groups really help me. And the thing is, because you can get so caught up through scrolling through just not Facebook, any social media. And before you know it, hours have gone by and you could have spent that time doing so many other things, cleaning, cooking, maybe going to a therapy session. And so for me, now I'm in a space that since I have been committed to managing my mental health, I... I've addressed a lot of my insecurities. So there aren't really too many things that um, on social media, at least that has triggered me. And if it does trigger me, it's something that I will bring up in therapy and I'll find out, is this some, um, where is this coming from? Like, why is this kicking up something? And so I will address it in therapy, but I'm also very confident in myself. I'm very confident in my abilities. So I'm not in a space where I'm jealous and jealous if I see someone their business is doing well or they're booking more speaking engagements or they just got married or engaged or whatever because now I'm I've addressed so many issues and I'm um a, a completely different person and so I'm in a space where it it does not bother me but I also use social media um I take it in doses so I have to take breaks. I can't be on it literally all day scrolling through it. A lot of times I'll post and I'll get off. So people assume I'm active on it because they'll see a lot of my postings. But again, like I said, I'll post and I'll get right off of social media. If someone in the group asks me a question or I may log into my groups, I'm most engaged in my Facebook groups. I'm not really engaged um like I said, scrolling through my timeline to see what all my family members and friends are doing. Again, it's just occasionally that I may do that. And so the researchers also said some people become depressed by looking at social media profiles and posts of others, then making negative comparisons to themselves. And that is so true. We have to remember Facebook or social media in general, it is all filtered. People are generally not going to post anything um, negative or bad about themselves. They're not really going to air their dirty laundry. And so here we are comparing ourselves based on something that's so filtered. And I'm like, I no longer can be in a space where if I'm not mentally healthy, I would recommend if you're not mentally healthy to not be on social media. Um, just because it, it can be a distraction from actually dealing with your issues. And so I wanted to also give you some tips on managing your mental health when it comes to social media. I would encourage you to go on the social media detox. So maybe you say, you know what? I'm not going to use social media on the weekend. I'm going to use the weekend to spend time with my family. I'm going to use the weekend to spend time with myself. I'm going to journal. I'm going to focus on my business. I'm going to hang out with my friends or whatever it is. You have to do what is best for you. 
and then also change the way that you that you um, use social media. So maybe you find that joining Facebook groups will really help you in connecting with people who are like-minded. I will also encourage you to do a cleanup of your social media. So what I mean by that, if there are people who are negative that you're following, like why are you even following anybody who's, who? why are you follow, following anyone who is posting anything negative or posting something that doesn't make you feel good? There are some family members that I don't follow. There are some friends that I don't follow and it's not because I don't want to keep in contact with them or I don't love them, but if they're not posting anything that's gonna uh, that's positive, if they're not posting anything that is going to make the world a better place, if they are not posting anything of value, of substance to me, then there's no need for me to follow them. And so I'm in a space in my life where I I believe in operating at the best of my ability. And that includes taking care of my mental health. And so taking care of your mental health is filtering what you see because we know what you see on social media can impact you. And the studies prove it. And those are definitely three tips that how I, you know that I want to encourage you to take. And I really hope that that helps you. Uh, social media, we know that especially for youth, Young people like spend so much time on mental health because you're more susceptible to peer pressure, low self-esteem, and mental illness. We see the the increase of so many things happening, like cyberbullying and your social isolation, com- um, unreal unrealistic comparisons. Like that's a huge a huge piece, and sometimes we feel a need to post every single thing that we're doing. Yeah, I post a lot of stuff that I'm doing, but I don't post every single thing that I'm doing. I don't make every single announcement about what what project or what event or what opportunity that I that I got. It's great to share and you should share milestones. And so for example, Facebook recently launched a proactive um, detection and it's a artificial intelligence technology that will scan all your posts for patterns of suicidal thoughts and when necessary, send mental health resources to the users or their friends or their or contact local first responders. Things like that, I believe, need to be put in place because sometimes we won't take the initiative to get help. We won't take the initiative to go see a therapist, to go see a psychiatrist. Sometimes because we don't have the energy, sometimes because we don't know where to go, sometimes because we're embarrassed. And so by Facebook and taking this step, to do more to support mental health, I truly believe that other social media platforms uh, certainly need to do the same because it can truly help save someone's life. And I really pray and hope that you guys got something out of this uh, this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment. All right, you guys. So that wraps up another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast. I am working on this voice of mine, y'all. Let me tell y'all. Now it's like the allergy season is kicking in because we're like inching into spring and I'm working on getting some excitement in my voice. I'm telling y'all, I'm trying. As always, y'all know I'm sending y'all positive energy. I pray that you have a blessed week and I look forward to talking to you next week. And I want to encourage anyone who may be in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, feel free to come to the This Is My Brave show taking place March 18th. You can, um, I'll leave, be sure to leave the information in the description box. So if you're in the area or if you're interested in coming to the event, you can do so. 
I will also be speaking in Delaware on March 23rd at the Mending Women's Conference. I can also leave that information in the description box. And on March 24th, I will be participating on a panel um, in Washington, D.C. And that event is free. All you have to do is register. But the event for This Is My Brave on March 18th, the tickets are $15 for students and $20 for general admission. Um, the conference in Delaware, uh, the tickets, I believe, are $50 Um and you, if you need a hotel, I'll be sure to give you the information for all of that in the show notes. And then, again, the event on March 24th, uh, where I'll be speaking on the panel, it is free. And so I look forward to meeting some of you guys at the events. And thank you so much for your support. I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. I really do. Y'all just don't know how much of a blessing you guys are just by tuning in week after week. Y'all don't have to listen to the podcast. Y'all could be doing anything else with your time, but you choose to listen to the podcast. And so I'm so grateful for that. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.